everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. I'm going to bring on Saeed Arakat. I'm so excited to have him on because I watch him him frequently. He is a Palestinian journalist and Washington Borough Chief of Al-Quds, a daily newspaper which has been published out of East Jerusalem uninterruptedly since 1951. In addition to his work as a journalist, Arakat is an adjunct professor at the American University. He served as the United Nations Chief Spokesman in Iraq from 2005 to 2010 He's a familiar face at the at U.S. State Department press briefings, where he's engaged in sometimes contentious exchanges with State Department spokespersons. So without further ado, Saeed Arakat. Hi. Hello there, Katie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. I'm honored. I have so many questions for you. Why don't you start out telling us about your background? How did you become the journalist that you are today? Well, that's a very interesting story because, you know, my my real background, I'm an industrial designer. So, uh, you know, I went to the same program from which uh, Steven Spielberg dropped out. You know, I mean, I I always say that. So, uh, I mean, that's my background. Uh, Then, you know, I came basically to to do some political work on behalf of the Palestinian community in America. I mean, I was we had a small group and I was elected. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in Jerusalem in Abadis, uh, which is right uh, outside of Jerusalem. It's the place that was designated to be the Palestinian capital in East Jerusalem. Anyway, so I came to go to college in San Francisco, which I did. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, the rest is history. I, I came in the 80s to do some work on, uh, you know, behalf of our community. And then the, the war in Lebanon uh, happened. And uh, I went there. I went uh, just to see what was going on. And then I, I met my, my wife. So that was in 1982. She was a physician uh, in the siege of, during the siege of Beirut. So, uh, you know, and I came back to Washington and started doing you know, journalism ever since. So, wow. Yeah. Well, tell us about um, your family, where they're from, um, if, where they had to move, if they were able to stay where they're from. What was their journey? Well, my family is uh, from the West Bank, from Abadis. Uh, we are, uh, you know, part of East Jerusalem. Uh, it's really where the wall goes highest. Uh, my parents, uh, my brothers came to this country to go to college and stayed and got married and had kid, their kids and so on. Uh, my parents, um, you know, both died in, in, in Abadis, you know, so that's, uh, yeah. So um, I still have lots of family in in, uh, in the Jerusalem area and in Jericho, uh, you know, I had my um, one of the chief negotiators was my cousin Saeb Arakat. He was uh, well known. He passed away three years ago, and uh, you know, his. Uh, so it was our family was actually going back and forth between the Bay Area and uh, and uh, Jerusalem, you know, so and Jericho. So this um, they have done this. Uh, the Arakats have done this for a long time, even before. Uh, in 1948. So, uh, but but my family still is uh, in in that area in Abadis. You know, my extended family, 
my first cousins and so on, and uh, in Jericho. So that that's my connection to the land. And what's life like for them there? It's horrible, especially now. I mean, you know, we still, I, in fact, my brother and I still uh, own our home uh, there, and uh, you know, constantly it's being you know, transgressed by nearby settlers and by the Israeli army. They come to the village, they arrest people. They went in a couple of weeks ago and they killed three people in, in my village. So it's a daily thing. There is a checkpoint right at the, the entrance of the village that separates, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, the Gethsemane, where, where it is, you know, you, see, you know where, where Bethany is, you know where Bethany is. Okay, well, it's uh, it's right at the jun- junction between Abdis and Bethany, there is a checkpoint from which everybody has to go through or not go through uh, on, on one side. And on the other side, it's uh, going to Bethlehem. So uh, there's a great deal of... Uh, um, especially with the checkpoint. I, a couple of years ago, in on June 24, uh, 2020, a young cousin of mine was on his way to pick up his mother from a hair salon, of all places, and he got shot dead at the checkpoint, and they still hold his body. I mean, these are some of the things that people endure uh, on a daily basis. His parents still can't have closure because uh, they cannot bury him. And what is that? Why does Israel do that? Is that just part of their dehumanization? Do they have an alleged reason for doing that, for not releasing the bodies? They never they never say why. There's about 800 Palestinian dead Palestinians that they they hold. Uh, some uh, some have died in prison, but uh, a lot of them were uh, you know were killed at the checkpoints or uh, in uh, what Israel claims to be confrontations and so on. I don't really know. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's an amazing thing that you hang on to a dead person. I don't know. Perhaps for future negotiations or something, trade. I don't know. It's terrible. It's kind of macabre, you know. And in Islam, um, I think I don't. I don't remember in Judaism and Islam when you're supposed to bury the. It has to. It's supposed to be shortly after the death, right? Immediately after the death, you know what they do. They they wash the. And it's the same thing in Judaism, you know. So it's uh, you know you uh, you bury the dead. You you you, know, you have like uh, the. Uh, the prayer, the prayer over them, and so on. Then you bury them, and then you begin whatever rituals that you have. You know, and it's uh, uh, it's really quite uh, disturbing for families not to be able to bury their sons, their parents, their whoever, you know, because of in this case because of uh, political uh, kind of uh, enforcement. So disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's I mean it's sadistic. So let's take a look at one of your contentious exchanges with Matt Miller. Let's start with one that is about babies and incubators. Right. On this issue, can you know? I mean, there's a great, great many rumors and so on that uh, talks about incentivizing Egypt to take like hundreds of thousands and so on. So you repudiate that completely. That is so- not. That is not something that has been discussed, you know, as it was already discussed on, on Capitol Hill. So I am not going to respond to rumors, and I don't know, I, I don't know what you're referring to with respect to Capitol Hill, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually really matter. I, but I will reiterate the principles right. that the okay. secretary outlined, and one of them is no forced displacement of the Palestinian people from Gaza. Okay. A couple of uh, other issues. Uh, there was a report that uh, Israel's assault forced the nurse to leave babies behind. Uh, they were found decomposing. Uh, are you aware of the story? 
Uh, I am aware of that report, okay. Saeed. And do, you, do you take it as it happened, or if it did happen, is that the war crime? Uh, Saeed, I would say that is a tragedy. Um, okay. It's a tragedy for those babies. Right. It's a tragedy for their family members. Right. It's a tragedy for the Palestinian people, and right. it is a tragedy for the world. Okay. And it is why we have made clear that far too many Palestinians have been killed in, in this conflict, and that, of course, includes far too many Palestinian children and, of course, Palestinian babies. And it is why we have taken every measure we could to speak loudly and clearly to the government of Israel that it needs to do everything it can to minimize civilian harm, and it's why we have worked to try and move humanitarian assistance in. And that is also why I will say we have said that Hamas should stop hiding its fighters right. in hospitals. I'm, I'm so, so this particular incident. It gets to the, the very difficult nature of this war right. um, and the immense human tragedy um, that has been inflicted on far too many people. But if it happened, it's not a war crime, or is it a war crime? So, so I, I'm never going to be able to make an assessment okay. here. You okay. saw us today make a conclusion about war crimes after a very deliberate right. fact-finding right. process where we then apply the facts. That's part one. There's more. Apply the facts to the law. It's not something I can do responding so, to so a report from Bill. To fight. Just, just, just please let me finish my answers before you interrupt. I will take all of your questions. Sure. It is not something I can do responding to a report from the podium. Okay, I understand. But uh, would the U.S. consider sending a fact-finding mission like that you did? We are in the middle of a conflict right now, an ongoing conflict. Uh, we monitor uh, all of these reports, but it's, I'm not going to speak to what actions we might take when we're still in the middle of major okay. combat and, operations. And lastly, lastly, my last question. Uh, the, on Monday, um, when I asked you about you know, where should the Palestinians go? And you said there are designated UN centers um, to, to go to. Well, apparently the spokesperson for the United Nations, Stefan Dujeric, whom you know, uh, repudiated that, or refuted that. He said, uh, let's be clear, there are no UN designated safe zones in Gaza. I think all my senior colleagues have been very clear, including the Secretary General, saying there are no safe places in Gaza. There are shelters that fly the UN flag that are sheltering thousands and thousands and thousands of people, men, women, and children who are trying to stay alive and get some food, get some water. We have seen since the beginning of this conflict that those places that fly the UN flag have, been, have not been safe either. So, you come that. so I will say, first of all, I did not say that there were safe zones. That is a very different concept. Said again, can we just establish a ground rule that I won't interrupt you and you won't interrupt me? I did not say that there were safe zones. That is a different concept. We have seen earlier in this con uh, conflict the idea of safe zones. And what instead we have moved to, what we have supported, are areas that are deconfliction sites. And there are sites that are UN-flagged facilities uh, that Israel is aware, Israel is aware where those sites are. Um, Israel has placed them uh, on deconfliction lists, and Israel is not supposed to target those sites. That is what I was referring to. We continue to support people moving to those sites where they can be uh, uh, safe from harm. But again, we recognize the very difficult situation on the ground and the very difficult choices that many Palestinian civilians uh, are, are having to make every day. Wow. I mean, what non-answers? <laughs> exactly. I mean, at the you would think that uh, pulling the plug or forcing people away, a nurse in this case, uh, from where babies are in incubators and so on, is a very clear war crime. That's what it is. I mean, uh, 
And they refuse, of course, to say. They would never say anything, uh, Katie, that would lift the cover that they have extended uh, to Israel. And it's called, uh, you know, this Israeli exceptionalism that they give uh, Israel. Well, you know, they did that with Shana Bapta, if you recall, uh, back in, in May of 2022. A journalist who was killed. Yes, the journalist, a citizen, American citizen journalist who was killed. And then uh, then uh, their finding was uh, uh, in July of that year, July 2022, that the Israelis did not have the intention uh, to kill her. So it was an Israeli bullet, as they put it at the time. Uh, it was an Israeli soldier that pulled the trigger, but they did not have intention uh, to kill the journalist. So there's always, there's always the caveat. That was after they released a video, right? The Israeli government released a video of a shooting that was not of Shreen Abu Akleh. They claimed the shooter had been shooting her. And then at Selim came forward and was like, no, that's that's impossible. And then they finally admitted. Yeah, not only Pakistan, but uh, actually other uh, institutions like CNN, New York Times, The Washington Post, everybody uh, did their own investigation. And, and they concluded it was uh, the Israelis that, so, you know, we see this all the time. I mean, you know, we see it with the, with the bombing, uh, the, um, uh, the, the government, the, this administration, uh, not, uh, you know, from any form, would uh, say anything that is incriminating to um, uh, the, the conduct of the Israelis. So we've come to, be, uh, to, to get used to that. You know, it's very frustrating, but I still have to ask the question because I have to do my reporting. And I need, to, I need to raise this issue. I'm surprised that they call on you, though. Is it just too embarrassing not to? Well, I mean, you know, I uh, I ask my questions professionally, and I ask them straightforwardly. I depend on, you know, what's uh, out there in the news. I, you know, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I understand that the spokesperson does have the power to call uh, on anyone or not call on anyone. I mean, that's their... Uh, prerogative. I hope that they continue to call on me. You know, I've been going to the State Department for many, many, many years. You know, I, you know, then it goes back to the George W. Bush administration. So uh, uh, even before then. So yeah, I hope that they continue to call because if they don't, then you know, uh, if you are not allowing uh, the proper space to talk about these issues that America is so involved in. I mean, this is not some uh, some place or some country that is not involved directly in this conflict. The United States is directly involved in this conflict, has always been directly involved in this conflict. It keeps this this current war going. I mean, uh, the U.S. and the U.S. taxpayer supplies Israel with the weapons, the, the cover, the political cover of the U.N. and, and the general uh, and the and the, uh, UN Security Council, as we saw a couple of weeks ago when the U.S. cast a veto uh, that, that called for um, a ceasefire, when we have uh, sort of some theatrics going on this evening uh, where everybody's trying to scramble so they can satisfy U.S. language, so they can pass uh, you know some sort of a resolution calling for humanitarian aid to go into Gaza. So the U.S. is fundamentally involved, and not to call on a a Palestinian journalist, you know, there would be would not be very wise. Would just be bad PR. I, for whatever reason, I mean, you know, uh, I must uh, admit that, uh, uh, and I never really take it for granted. You know, I 
They have always, the spokespeople in, uh, in one administration after the other have always called on me repeatedly. And, you know, repeatedly. And I'm allowed, um, uh, you know, enough space to express my questions and express my thoughts. I mean, sometimes the, the spokesperson gets, uh, you know, either frustrated or upset with my questioning and says, you know, don't interrupt me, do this, not do that. But uh, that's about it. I mean, we are quite amicable with one another. I mean, it is shocking, though. I mean, even though you asked that question, one would think, I mean, it's shocking, but it's, but it's not shocking. It's totally predictable. It's disgusting, though, that the story about babies being left mm-hmm. to decompose, I mean, they made up stories about Saddam Hussein yes. pulling children yes. from babies from incubators that weren't true because they assumed that that would infuriate and disturb people. And then in this case, it actually happens and they don't cover it. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, that, that's a great point that you raised. That was the, back in 1990. I remember it so well. And in fact, they brought someone to testify and, yeah. and she turned out to be the daughter of the ambassador, right. the Kuwaiti ambassador to Washington. So, yes, absolutely. I concur. That is exactly uh, what happened when it comes to the Palestinian. Look, there is something uh, almost in, in any area uh, on human rights, on right to defend oneself and all these things, it's okay except for the Palestinians. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the kind of, uh, of message that is constantly being conveyed. Right. And another thing that you brought up recently, and we're going to look at this now, is, um, is oh, is that, are you clicking a pen? Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. It'll just, no, we want just, it. It's, uh, yeah. No, yeah. Just for the sake of the podcast. Yeah. Um, who was doing that the other day? I had it's a sign that you're yeah. doing that. Someone <laughs> a, else is doing that. that. It's something that I do all the time. Yeah, I know. I'm I can't remember who was doing that. that. And I was yeah. like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> we're going to take a look at uh, your uh, in exchange with Matt Miller, I believe today, about Israel's all out war on journalism. That was yesterday, yes. Oh, yesterday. Okay. Right. So this is from yesterday. Right. A lot of journalists have been killed, maybe 90 and so on. Do you have any doubt that the, that Israel intentionally targets journalists? So we have not seen evidence that so, Israel. Uh, let me yeah. use a rule. Let me finish. We have not seen any evidence that Israel is intentionally targeting journalists. Uh, obviously, we have seen um, uh, a number, dozens of journalists die right. as a result of this conflict. I uh, saw one, uh, Samer uh, Abu Dhaka right. uh, from Al Jazeera, who was just right. killed in in uh, recent days, right. and. As we have said before, we mourn every journalist who has given their life in covering this conflict and bringing information to the American public and to uh, people all around the world. Uh, We think the work that the free press does is critical to a democracy, especially in conflict zones, um, where unfortunately far too many do pay this sacrifice and our condolences go out um, to all of their families. And in other, and there are cases where, when we have seen um, uh, actions that we thought warranted, we have raised questions with the Israeli government and sought more information. You saw us do that with respect to uh, the Reuters journalist who was killed in uh, in Lebanon, um, and we will continue to do so. And we will continue to encourage Israel to 
to uh, comply with their own rules of engagement and comply with international humanitarian law. And whenever, if we ever see signs that they're not, we will, of course, be very clear about that with them. So, so go, on, go, go ahead. Go, Sam, I mean, last Sam, one, Saeed, because there are yeah, Sam, a, lot of, a lot of other you people. Mentioned, you mentioned Sam Rabadakka. I mean, he was bleeding there for like six hours, and they sent in a, a, a crew to retrieve him. They were all shot. So they knew exactly where he was and what he was bleeding right there. Trying, people are trying to reach and, and retrieve him. And they dis, the Israeli army disallowed them from doing that. So, so wouldn't that be intentional? You know? So again, uh, as always, it's very difficult for me to comment from specific facts here. We're in an extremely challenging information space when you see uh, different accounts about um, uh, about activities on the ground. But as I said, we continue to be clear, clear with Israel that they must comply with all international humanitarian laws. Go ahead. So, okay, that journalist who was just killed as you pointed out, was shot. So he was targeted in the first place. But let's right. let's let's say that it was accidental, just for argument's sake. Like I don't it's not it's not the truth, but I'm just gonna make a an argument. Then they don't let medical aid come to him and they shoot a paramedic, shoot and kill a paramedic right. who tries to reach him. Three. Three. Okay, three. So you can't there's like no plausible deniability there? There's no plausible deniability whatsoever, none. Tamar Abudakka, first of all, he was accompanying uh, the correspondent, Wael Dahdouh. Wael Dahdouh's family in October was killed by uh, an Israeli bomb, his whole family. So it's the same, the same correspondent was out there covering, uh, to his credit, he went out covering the, what, what was going on and his cameraman and sometime producer, uh, uh, Samir Abudakka, uh, was out there with him, and they both got hit. And while uh, was injured, he was able to to walk back or you know roll back, whatever it was, the situation. And Samir remained, and they wouldn't allow the crew to get to him. But this, uh, Katie, happened time and again. I mean, that's how 90-plus Palestinian journalists have been killed in this conflict. Now, I know that the United States of America, Secretary Blinken, constantly, you know, talks about the death of journalists in the Ukraine, which should be condemned, obviously, for obvious reason. But, you know, they don't even mention that there are 90 Palestinian journalists that have been killed. They say journalists in the Middle East. Journalists in the Middle East. I mean, this is such a, you know, it's non kind of uh, you know, definitive kind of uh, answer or place. You need to say, we will not allow Israel to continue killing journalists on purpose because they know where every journalist lives. You see, what people don't understand is something called Kogat, which is the coordinator for the territory. The coordinator for the territories and Gaza um, registers, record every birth and every death they know exactly where every person lives. They know every place that they hit a bomb with because Israel depends on AI a great deal and it's targeting and all these things. So when they kill a journalist, and especially in their sleep when they hit their homes, they know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they do. They know exactly that when they were born and what they do, where they went to school, what kind of kids they have, whether they're married or not. They know all these details that, because that is the job of the coordinator, and in fact, was one of the most contentious issues when 
the United States was trying to issue the visa waiver, if you recall, back in August and September, because COGAT had some restrictive uh, questionnaires that they wanted to ask Palestinian Americans and so on. And the U.S., you know, was uh, a bit, uh, you know, annoyed with, with Israel's uh, enforcement of this. So they know exactly who was, where, when. So they know exactly all of that. But to say that they are, they have done it without intention to do it is nonsense. It's so disgusting. It's like every time that I think Israel couldn't do anything worse, they do it. And every time I think like, okay, now Israel's defenders are going to be critical. They have to, because it's just too gruesome to deny someone medical aid while they're bleeding out. But they do it. And then somehow it's, but Hamas or, well, they were, he was, must have been a terrorist or I'm trying to think of the other things that they, that they say. Um, But those provide a lot of leeway for these people. Well, I tell you what. Israel has always done that. If you go back to, ni- to 1967, I think there's, uh, until this war, there was something like 70, 75 Palestinian drones that have been killed by Israel. So this is not something in new. Israel, this allows uh, ambulances and first aid uh, vehicles from moving from por- point A to point A all the time. You know, I had a, a relative of mine, she had a heart attack. There was an ambulance to take her. They held her at the checkpoint, and they will not let them through to the hospital, the Al Maqasid Hospital in East Jerusalem, until she died. I mean, have, and then they said you can go. I mean, that's exactly what they do. It's really, uh, it is very brutal. And uh, uh, you know, you use the word sadistic when we started this conversation, and that's exactly what it is. So they do that all the time. They target journalists. They target um, medical workers. Uh, already, this war claimed maybe 200 medical workers, including doctors and nurses and, uh, you know, medical care uh, givers and all that. So uh, they know perfectly well. They destroyed schools. They destroyed their mosques. They destroyed, they killed two women in a church the other day. You know, the last remaining church in Gaza, they destroyed one. This is the second, they say, the last remaining church in Gaza. And it's a very small uh, Christian community. They target them. They killed a woman and her daughter. So, uh, Israel does all that on purpose. Nobody can deny that. And, I mean, the targeting of journalists and the targeting of medical professionals, the other day medical professionals held a press conference and they opened fire on them during the press conference. Yes, yes, absolutely, all the time. Now, if you you do any kind of organization, you'll be targeted. And it's not only in Gaza, but also in the West Bank. This is ha- this happens time and time and time again. You know, people in Hebron, uh, many uh, peace activists. If you go to to Hebron, they will disallow you from walking the streets. The, the the police and the and the, and the uh, army will not allow you to talk to people. Will not allow you to conduct interviews. Will not allow you to go. Uh, you know, if uh, there are certain areas where Palestinians are not allowed uh, to go through the roads and sections and so on in the city itself. So this happens all the time. This is Israel's policy. You know, I think Simone said it best when, when she was talking about the ADL and so on. Their purpose, of course, they focus on Israel, but also to leave the Palestinians out of the conversation, not to talk about the humanity of the Palestinians. They don't exist. And we heard all kinds of statements by uh, the defense minister, uh, Gallant, by uh, other people, uh, that uh, spoke of uh, people in Gaza as not being human or human animals or, right. or, or, or all that. So 
that is uh, that that where it all begins. I mean, this is the kind of uh, basic concept that Israelis treat the Palestinians with. Does it? Do you take it personally, like as a person who you know you belong to this group that is dehumanized? Are you able to Absolutely. separate it? Absolutely. I mean, I I am a, an old coot, so I've been around <laughs> the block a few times. I uh, you know I hold it, but. I'm a human being also. I mean, I, I when I see, uh, I get on all these programs late late night, for instance, you know, the Arabic television programs and, and so on. And, I'm, you know, they, they show these scenes of babies uh, dead and toddlers. I have a, a two-year-old grandson. And, you know, Greg? To me, you know, Greg, exactly. From your Twitter Greg. bio, yeah. Yes, Greg, you know, my... Uh, my uh, my uh, daughter met her husband in law school and so on, and he's Jewish and you know so my grandson is you know so I have, so it, I see I mean we I understand how these families feel about their their kids and their children and you know just to see how they die in the hundreds it's cheesy it's amazing it's mind boggling how could the world take such a thing I mean we know we know how we feel about our kids and grandkids. So they feel the same way. You know, these are parents. And these kids, you know, they, you know, they, they, if they survive, they survive without their parents or without their grandparents or without the, extent, without the extended family. It is really heartbreaking. So yeah. To answer your question, of course, I mean, you know, I feel it every day. But then I, uh, uh, you know, I need to go on. I need to ask the question. I need to write my report and I need to raise the issues. Yeah. It's just so, I, I can't get over how it's just like, this is, mur- I mean, it's just murderous and we're seeing it and we see the babies. Like you're saying, I just, I don't understand how these people sleep at night. Although, right. you know, um, um, Rafat Alarir said during a stream, not with me, yeah. but someone else, he was saying, well, I, I that, that implies they have a conscience, which, which they don't. Um, yeah. But that's another example of targeting. Like we know that um, Rafat Alarir, they targeted his sister's apartment. So they didn't bomb the entire apartment building. They just bombed the apartment because they knew he was there. Yes. Yes. You know, and in fact, his last tweet was that, uh, honestly, that this may be my last week. Yeah. You know, so it, it's... Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So yeah. we have um, another clip I want to show you uh, because it's just interesting to see how Israeli politicians and PR people uh, do their job. So this is the deputy mayor of Occupy Jerusalem and founder of the UAE Israel Business Council, Fleur Hassan Nahum, talking on a British show about the shooting and killing of a woman and her daughter in a church in Gaza. Let's hear what she has to say. If the ceasefire means the return of the hostages and the dismantlement of a genocidal regime that has stated that they're going to attack us again, then everybody would be in favor of a ceasefire. But if a ceasefire means that we're just going to keep them quiet for a bit until they attack again, then it's Israel's obligation to defend its citizens and destroy that threat, don't you think? Why is it necessary, it is reported, to start shooting, having snipers outside a church? 
I don't. I saw the reports this morning. Um, the church. There are no churches in Gaza, so I'm not quite sure where the report well, is, is, is talking a, about. There's a Catholic church in there, isn't there? That is. Yeah. Unfortunately, the... there are no Christians because they were dry, dro- driven, driven out. Well, there are, respectfully, there are Christians because I spoke to an MP yesterday who has family members in the church who are Christians. Well, I don't Unless know what happened. I don't know who was attacked. I didn't see the report. So she says she saw the report. Then she says she didn't see the report. <laughs> right, exactly. She says there are no churches. Then there are actually no Christians. And then she actually, so then let's take a look at her tweet because she obviously was being called out on this. So this was her excuse that she tweeted out. Okay, I've received a number of comments on this, so I want to clear things up. I said there are no churches in Gaza, but what I meant to say and afterwards said is that there are almost no Christians in Gaza. No, you didn't say almost no Christians. You said there are no Christians in Gaza. We're talking a few hundred in a population of over 2 million. And the reason for that is simple. Gaza has been ruled by a Muslim Brotherhood for nearly, by the Muslim Brotherhood for nearly two decades and have systematically ethnically cleansed its Christians. That should bother anyone who cares about preserving and protecting the Christians of this land as I do. Okay, so the way you're protecting these Christians is by shooting them. Yeah, exactly. I mean that that is so vintage Israeli doublespeak. Isn't it? I mean, it's a, yeah. I mean, this is uh, this is the kind of stuff that really uh, no one would, no good analyst, no serious analyst would take. You know, in any kind of uh, credible uh, any credibility whatsoever. So uh, my my response to what she's saying. Uh, that whether it's Christians or Muslims, you should not you kill innocent people in any place of worship, in any place, period. You should not target men and women and uh, their kids, their daughter, whatever, you know, because you you feel that they are a threat to you. Even, uh, if the fa- uh, even if, in fact, they were taking shelter in this place, it doesn't matter what this place is, whether it's a church or a mosque or a synagogue or a school or, or anywhere or a home. We're crying out loud. I mean, you know, the Israelis just went into uh, Janine the other day. They destroyed a home. They, uh, you know, they tied people uh, and they they uh, put uh, things around their eyes and so on. Uh, and they, they they do all kinds of awful things. And then they sat around uh, smoking, you know, water pipe and, and all this thing. And the Israelis said, oh, we will investigate. Israel has been investigating their transgressions or the, the soldiers' transgressions forever. You know, and they have never, ever come with any conclusion. I mean, it's just probably the only time um, it happened when they burned the, the four-year-old alive. And now I think he, he or the, the, per, the perpetrator may be out of prison. I don't know. Uh, so it's uh, uh, Israel does not have a good record of investigating itself. It is an issue that I raised many times in the State Department briefing when they say that Israel but investigate itself, but they never conclude. Or if they conclude, they say that it's a slap on the wrist. You know, so I think uh, we can go and look at all the cases where Israel found its soldiers guilty, and they were fined maybe like $5 or $10 or something um, uh, similar. And what was the, the, you just referred to the burning of the four-year-old baby? Right. Some Sometime back in 2016, I I can't remember all the details, but uh, when the settlers burned uh, the whole family and uh, they killed a, a four-year-old and they they or two, I think, um, and then the Israelis went and arrested them and they were tried. Uh, one was convicted. Uh, he spent time in prison, and I think uh, either most recently, I think either he was released or 
was being released uh, and so on. So um, the point that I'm trying to make, uh, Katie, is that uh, Israel does not have a good track, a track record of investigating what they do. They claim to, you know, and they come after the fact, you know, as you mentioned, with Shirina Barclay, the first thing they said it was she was the victim of, of uh, a Palestinian, uh, a Palestinian terrorist shot at her and killed her. Then they said she was causing the crossfire. Then they said, okay, no, we, we, we did it, but we we had no intention of doing so and so on. You know, so that, that's how every time, that's how the story evolved. The same thing when they bombed um, and the, the, the Baptist hospital in uh, Gaza on the on October 17th. The same thing when they said, you know, the Shifa hospital, they, they kept saying it's a, a, you know, a headquarter for Hamas. And then, you know, they, they, they showed us some silly calendar that had the, the, the rotation of the, of the doctors who's going to be when uh, and so on. Then we had uh, no less than the former Israeli prime minister himself, Ehud Barak, come out on Christiane Amapur show and tell her, we built this bunker. So, you know, all, it's always the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, Israel knows exactly what it's doing in Gaza. They probably think that this is the best way to make Gaza uninhabitable and to drive the people out, whether uh, Egypt wants to take them or not now, or they say they want to take them or not. Ultimately, people cannot live in a place where it is uninhabitable. And that's what they're turning Gaza into. I mean, this is the stark reality. They're trying to drive the Palestinians out. This is a continuation of the Nakba of 1948. There are no two ways uh, about it. And uh, they do this, you know, totally empowered by the United States of America. Did you know um, any of these uh, journalists personally? Yes, of course. Of course, I, I know them. I know. You'd be surprised. Some of them were trained. They would come to the United Nations and they would bring someone like me to speak uh, uh, to them and so on. We, uh, we have done this uh, in the past, many, you know, over the years and so on. So, yes, of course. I mean, you know, they, they, let's say the, the, uh, there was a, a correspondent of the uh, Palestine TV. I mean, they bring me on and they bring him on because he would be in Gaza and he would tell us what's going on and they would ask me to comment on U.S. policy. Night after night, then, you know, one day he was bumped and killed. So I can I can go on, you know, <laughs> with many examples like this. So, so I mean, it's, the journalist community is not that large. I mean, we most of us know each other or have known each other or have been on the same programs with one another without knowing each other, you know. So in one way or another, you have, some sort of a connection with these journalists. And the only reason that they talked, I think, about uh, Shumina Blackley in the first place was because she was Palestinian-American. I think if she was just Palestinian, it wouldn't have made American news. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, the, the person that was shot with Shireen is my colleague in my newspaper. You know? So uh, he was shot, like, I think maybe six times. But he was uh, he was hit first, you know. I know how snipers work. I mean, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I came to understand uh, that when I was in Iraq for five years, you know, I knew how the sniping happened. Apparently, there's a sniper and there's a spotter. There's the guy that pulls the trigger and there's a spotter. And they say, okay, well, the bullet has something, you know, there's uh, the the wind factor or the air factor, whatever, you know, they, they do it. I, I don't know much about ballistics, but uh, that's what they do. So. Basically, they shot him for distance to see how they are going to hit her, and they hit him in the shoulder. He fell, then they hit her. So, you know, it's uh, uh, 
uh, it is not only intentional, but premeditated. Did he survive? Yes, he did. He okay. survived. And he was recently also wounded, went to the hospital and survived. He's an amazing guy. He's got nine lives. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. That's the other thing that's so heartbreaking is that you see these kids rescued from the rubble. You see kids rescuing their dogs from the rubble. You see a doctor with a baby and you can't yes. even like breathe a sigh of relief because they could be killed the next day. Yes, they are. I was reading a disheartening story about uh, a young girl. I think she was four. She lost uh, her leg, uh, her legs. And then uh, I think a couple of days ago, she was hit and killed. So, yeah. I mean, this happens over and over again. Remember, Kay, at least 20,000 people have died. We don't know how many right. because there are thousands under the rubble. We don't know, you know, and we don't know how many will die of their wounds because there's something like 50,000 wounded and some of these wounds without any medical care because uh, the last hospital ceased to, uh, to, to, to provide services. So the Israelis, uh, uh, you know, are making sure that the hospitals don't function because they don't want services uh, given. They don't want people to survive. They want to force people out. This is the intention all along, despite what the, the uh, administration says. I mean, you, you heard me ask uh, uh, Matthew Miller about that, you know, so, and he said, we are, you know, we are committed to not the non-movement of Palestinians, the forcible movement of, uh, of Palestinians. But in fact, despite what the administration thinks, the Israelis want the Palestinians out of Gaza. So you've been doing this for a while, as you said, is yes. there any difference among the presidents in terms of their position? Like, is is uh, Biden worse than Obama was on Israel? Are they all the same? Well, under Obama, if you recall, we had a major war in 2014. It was just intense, as intense. It was not near as bad. Only 2,400 Palestinian civilians were killed at the time, you know, in a short period. Uh, they all paid uh, lip service to uh, two-state solutions and so on. Uh, I must say that, you know, Biden is very enthusiastic about his support to Israel. And, you know, he always comes out and, uh, you know, wears his, uh, the fact that he's a Zionist. I mean, he calls himself a Zionist, like a badge of honor. He does that time and time again. And we understand, you know, we understand your love for Israel, but you can't um, uh, go day after day conveying a false narrative, an Israeli narrative about the, the decapitation of babies or other stories and so on. You, you know, you do it verbatim. Even when your uh, advisors tell you, please yeah. don't do that. Even when the Israelis, the Israelis call the Americans and say, hey, come, turn it down, you know, right. on the issue of yeah. the rape and all this. And turn it down, you know, because, you know, there's yeah. a whole lot of exaggeration in that. So, Like Matthew uh, Miller yeah. saying that the reason Hamas wasn't releasing these other hostages right. was because the women were probably sexually assaulted and right, they didn't want right. them to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, and one of my colleagues asked the following day, she said, you know, you said that, but, uh, I mean, ultimately they will be released and they will be saying the same thing. So it's, there's, their story, it doesn't, you know, the logic is a bit uh, quirky, you yeah. know, uh, it doesn't work. But uh, to answer your question, I think we have seen consistently American presidents take the same stand and see Israel expand settlements, you know, do away with agreements, you know. Uh, um, I remember when George W. Bush called Ariel Sharon a man of peace, a guy whose own biography, he wrote his autobiography, and he called himself warrior. This is the guy that called himself warrior. Bush insisted that he was a man of peace. We, we know that uh, uh, Obama reiterated the same mantra about Israel's right to defend itself. And this, you know, this is 
And this right to defend itself means that Israel has every right to do whatever it wants because it's not a, it is not being held accountable. The same thing with Biden, the same thing with uh, with Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, if you recall, during the Camp David, I don't know if you recall, but during the Camp David talks in, in, in the summer of 2000, when they disagreed with Arafat and, and all these things, they promised, we will, I will come out and will give a press conference, but I will not put the blame on you because it was not Arafat to blame. It was actually Barack to blame. And uh, sure enough, you know, Bill Clinton came out and blamed the Palestinians, blamed Yasser Arafat, blamed the PLO, you know, the, the PLO. You know, so invariably they do that. You know, they have done this. To his credit, um, Ronald Reagan, during the siege of Beirut, you know, uh, when he called uh, uh, Menachem Begin and he said, cut this stuff out. You know, when the bombing was so bad and so intense on civilian areas, he told them to cut it out, and they cut it out because America wields a great deal of influence. I mean, this is, um, uh, in this partnership, the United States of America is the senior partner. Apparently he called it a Holocaust, Reagan. He did, actually. Yeah. He did call it that, yes. You know, so, uh, yeah. And what are your thoughts on um, Netanyahu's recent admission that uh, he killed the peace process, as he told some journalists the other day? Right. He's, uh, he's always taken pride with that. We knew that all along. I mean, you know, uh, Netanyahu, if you recall, in 1995 and 1994, was really instigating against Rabin. And in fact, uh, uh, Leah Rabin accused him of being behind the assassination of, uh, of Rabin. So, you know, Netanyahu has been consistent. I mean, he, since 1996, let's say, when he assumed the premiership uh, the first time, until today, he has consistently did everything possible to nullify the, the, the two-state solution, to make it un, uh, unachievable by whatever means. And they all know that. They, they, and Obama knew this. You know, and, uh, uh, Biden knows this. When Biden went there for the first time in 2009, uh, Katie, Netanyahu greeted them with this expansion of settlements, if you recall. And, you know, he was very upset, Biden, but, you know, they couldn't do anything about it and so on. And then, you know, a few years later, uh, Netanyahu, working with the right-wing uh, GOP uh, representatives, uh, brought, came in and spoke to two, um, uh, to a, a joint session of Congress, uh, instigating and inciting against the Obama-Iran deal, if you recall, you know, the, uh, before the, the nuclear deal and so on. So they have done this time and time and time again. And Netanyahu is probably the major obstacle uh, uh, before any uh, process of peace anywhere in the region. What are your thoughts on what Yemen is doing? Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordoba. See you next time.